at home, you don't have to worry about certain things such as grocery shopping or the doctor. You know everything. You have your own ecosystem. But when you live abroad, that ecosystem disappears and you have to build it back up. And while you said you had, I don't know, 19 years in my case to build that ecosystem, you have to build it in, in a week. Hi everyone and welcome to episode number 62 of the Immigrants Live podcast, where we share stories of people who left their country to chase a better life. And through these stories, you can find ideas, resources and motivation to do the same. I am Daniel De Biasi and my guest this week left Italy to go and study in the US. Most people leave their country because they want a better life. But as you will hear in this episode, Eugenio loved his life in Italy. Still, he decided to move to New York to live a life that most would consider much worse than what he had back home. Not for Eugenio though, he was happy and filled with a new type of energy that he had never felt before. In this episode, Eugenio shares how he found a scholarship and what you should do if you struggle to find and get one. He also shares the challenges, rejection and failures along the way and how he overcomes them. Eugenio lived in the US and France, and because he had to learn English and French, he came up with a very effective formula to master a new language. Change your environment, make mistakes, and learn like a baby. So if you are thinking of studying abroad or learning a new language, this episode is for you. If not, you will still find Eugenio's story super inspiring and fascinating. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with my fellow Italian, Eugenio. Hi, Eugenio. Thanks for being on the show. Hello, how are you? I'm awesome. I'm really good. I'm really good. And actually, I'm very excited to have you here on the show because I think we're like really similar. We both come from a small town in Italy. And now we are on the same journey to try to help other people and doing the same thing, which is like moving abroad. But before we start talking about your business, the overseas dream, I want to actually hear your story. What was your life back in Italy? Well, what would you describe your life back in Italy? So if I had to describe that in one word, it was beautiful. It was an amazing life I had. I was surrounded by beautiful people that still surround me when I go back to Italy. And uh, I grew up in a very small town, which is called Monte Sarchio. And it's located uh, in between the hills of the Campania region. It's not far from Naples, the city of Naples. And uh, growing up in such a small town also made me aware that it is the village that raises you. And it is totally true. I had the chance to meet beautiful people and also to grow up with a lot of people at the same time. So we could uh, we could just spend every day together pretty much. But apart from that, in Italy, I had a beautiful life, a family that took care of me every second, every day, and they gave me everything they could. Uh, basically, uh, I had everything a kid could dream of. And I was the happiest person in my life. And I'm still have, very happy to, to have been raised in Montesarchio. And uh, so I grew up there and I also was in Italy until I, I finished high school. Okay, that's pretty interesting because like most people, when I talk about like, what was your life? Like, oh, there's always something wrong. There's always a reason to live. But here I knew they said like, my life was beautiful, which I can totally resonate with you. What was your reason then to leave Italy? Because one other thing I like to add is because I don't know your experience, but when I talk to people here in Canada, even when I was in New Zealand, that I was telling that I was from Italy, people was like a surprise, like, what are you doing here? Like Italy is such a great country and all of that things. Like, why did you decide to leave? Why are you living here? Like, you're crazy. What was your like, experience? Did you have the same thing? And what was your reason for you to leave Italy? I get people telling me that. It has happened on a lot of occasions and it is totally normal because it is true, right? Someone listening to this podcast may say, this person is crazy. Why would you leave? You say your life was beautiful there. Why would you actually leave? And while I love uh, Montesarchio and Italy in general, I also have always been a person who wanted to explore, to, to know more about other people, to also understand different cultures and also understand how I was different from others how my culture was different than others. I wanted to understand that. And that is always something that interests me. But there was something different that happened that pushed me to go away because despite I always thought of, uh, of traveling and exploring, I always thought of that from a touristic point of view. So I always thought I would have gone outside 
just visiting, but until a certain age, I really didn't have in mind to actually leave Italy. When I was 16, I decided to do the tryouts for the Naval Academy. And I did the tryouts for the Naval Academy, the Air Force, the Finance Guard, which is specific to Italy, the Army. And it was a one-year process. Uh, it's, it's a bit of, it's known as kind of the West Point of Italy. Mm-hmm. And I got to the last step. It was a one-year process done of different steps. And I got to the last step with the Naval Academy. It was uh, a very tough process. And at the very last, I did not pass. And I started and prepared for that since I was 16, 17, actually. So it was pretty hard to accept. And at the same time, I told myself, what do I do now? And that's when I decided that I wanted to leave. I decided I wanted to leave not because I was disappointed in Italy at all. It was me who did not pass the exam at the end. So I had nothing against Italy. I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to see if, if it was me. Or if I could do more, if I if I could try to do something different and uh, and just you know break those barriers that I was putting in myself because after failing the academy, I thought of myself as nothing. I felt that I failed, and so I told myself, "Can I actually do more than this? Let's see what I can really do." And so I had my brother who was already living in the U.S. He was living in upstate New York. Uh, in uh, he was attending a community college there, and so I thought, "Why not the U.S.?" Right. Everybody says that it's great. The U.S. is great. You have a lot of opportunities there. Why not try? I'm young. I was 19 at the time, just graduated from high school. So I had a lot of, of thoughts about that. So and that's when I decided to go. What was the reason behind trying to get into the army in a way that was like a naval? You try other branches of the army. Like what was the reason behind? Was the reason because you want to try to move abroad through this organization or like through these opportunities? That's a very interesting question. And I also feel a bit shy to talk about it, but I will talk about it because it's important to say the main reason why I wanted to join the academies was because I was attracted by the external image that I would have gained by becoming an officer. I was attracted more to the external image, but I was not aware of what it would have meant to join the academy and what would have been the kind of life that I would have had for the rest of my life. I wasn't aware of that. I was just looking at the image, right? You watch the movies, the uh, gentleman officer, you watch Top Gun, and you have this fantasized image of the academy. And so I was trying to see myself there and in a very narcissistic way. And that, luckily enough, I realized that one failing. So... I was kind of lucky and lucky. And that's when I really thought to myself, going abroad is going to help me also discover myself because I've realized that by having the influence of uh, people around me and of thinking that the academy was the one choice, the right choice for anyone at that age, I thought that that was the only chance that I had and also the only thing I could really do. And that's when I told myself, I really need to understand what I want for myself. I really need to know myself better. I've never asked myself that question until that point. So that's why uh, I wanted to join the academy. That's why at the end I didn't join, I didn't try again. How old were you when you like, let's call failed the academy? 19. So you're still pretty young, even when you just told me that you were trying to move abroad. Were you actually aware of like the reason behind you wanted to go to the army at that point? Or that's something that came later in uh, later in time? No, I, I understood it there. I understood it at that moment when I was in, in the academy that week. That's when I understood it. I remember because during that week, I, I was calling my parents. It was just one day we were allowed to use our phones. It was on a Thursday. And I remember I told my, my parents, I was like, you know, this is very nice. You know, I, I'm not suffering. It's just that, uh, yeah, I think I'm realizing what it really means. Honestly, the more I know you, the more like totally relate with your story and your point of view. It took me a while to realize this. Like one of the main reasons I decided to leave Italy wasn't really for me leaving Italy. What was it going to be like when I come back to Italy and see my friends, like um, this guy that lived abroad, it was like a romanticized idea of like, you're going to be this cool guy that lived abroad and all that. And now you go back to Italy. I was romanticizing that aspect of living abroad more than actually living abroad. What's going to be when I go back? 
the more like how it's going to be in my life abroad. And it took me years to realize that I was not aware of it. Absolutely not aware of it. It took me like, yeah, a good five years to realize that why. It looks like very similar, like a super superficial thing to do or to think about. Like, to go on, like in my case was moving abroad, in your case was trying to join the, the Naval Academy. But yeah. I don't know if it's a normal thing when you're like young, trying to like show off or being cool or whatever. Like Very normal. So Very normal, especially with social media, right? We all want to be a bit the center of attention. So I think it's normal. And so you decided to move to the US and uh, probably join your brother because your brother was already there. And so what was the process for you to move to the US? It was a bit of a tough process uh, because I had to figure out a bit the immigration part. So I wasn't really aware of what it meant to move to the US from an administrative point of view. And so I had to learn a lot about how the immigration law applied there and also what kind of documents you needed, what you could do, what you could not do. There was a lot of that involved. So you really start learning to take care of yourself because you need to be aware of so many things, right? And the one mistake can cost your immigration papers. So it's very important. And also, I basically got in touch with people who I knew from Italy that was a, were already living there, and also based on my brother's experience. And I was lucky enough to be hosted in Brooklyn for some time by a person who came from the same village and owned a restaurant in Brooklyn. And so I, I was very lucky. I had people who helped me. And then as soon as I arrived, I made a lot of friends. I made a lot, a lot of friends who helped me and assisted me. And I was extremely lucky, but I always reached out for help. Always reached out. You never do it by yourself. Never. Did you do the immigration process on yourself or you hired a professional to do it? No, <laughs> that would have been expensive. <laughs> I didn't even check because I know it would have been expensive. And I mean, it was not rocket science, of course, but that moment it did look like rocket science for a moment. So throughout the immigration process, I asked so many questions. I involved so many people. I asked anybody, also people who were already living there and also Americans themselves who were not even aware of that process, of course, because they are citizens, right? Mm -hmm. But I reached out a lot. I asked questions and probably my browser had like a thousand tabs open, trying to figure out something, a question, learning a bit the, the words that were used. Uh, so there were a lot of things I had to learn. And the immigration process was the most painful one. Oh, right? yeah. The most painful one. Anybody who moved to, the, to a country outside of Europe, I think, realized that. I, I even the process to go to Europe from people from outside of Europe is not easy either. Like I think oh, I any don't. country, like it's, there's always, I think there must be a reason behind like the, why they put like these kind of barriers or like a loops you have to jump through. There's, there must be a reason, but there's no country that is easy. But first of all, like what was your way to move to the US? What was your like idea of how to get to the US? So my idea of how to get to the U.S. was definitely first go there as a tourist, just understand, just uh, a bit sense the territory, right? Understand a bit how, what it means to really be there. You know, I stayed with, it, with this person who hosted me there. And also I, I was just trying to understand basically if I could really hold that. Right. If I could really do that. So um, I stayed for three months as a tourist in the beginning. And also that allowed me to get in touch with universities and basically do my whole understanding of how the system worked. And then, uh, you know, come back to Italy, then you go again. So it was a lot of back and forth until I got my visa. I got my visa after a couple of months, after I found a university who would uh, basically give me a high 20, which is the document that you need in order to get a student visa. And so the process entailed a lot of, uh, of basically trying to understand how the process worked and especially living there. By living there, I really understood if I could do it or not. And uh, the fun fact is when I finished my first month in the US, I said, I'm not ready for this. And the moment I went back to Italy, I said, I'm ready for this. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know what it was. I really cannot explain why. This is the, the funniest fact. But yeah, I remember taking off from New York after my tourist visa was uh, expired. And I said, okay, I'm good. I'm gone. And then the moment I landed, I was like, I'm coming back. 
<laughs> I, it was, I didn't even get off the plane. So I really could not explain that. It's just, I don't know. It's crazy. And what was your first impression when you landed in the US? Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think yeah. Italians look up to Americans. We grow up thinking that Americans are so much ahead of us. They are the future and everything is great. And I don't know, we're watching the movies and we like, we just create like this image of America and what America would look like. We call it American dream and going to America. There's like so many, like a different way in, in Italian culture to say like, like it's, it's so good that you find something great. Like what was your idea when you were in the US? The expectation were like matching your idea or? What was it like? The expectation was definitely matching my the idea that I in New York. I always wanted to, to live the big city life. It is something that always like I wanted to do because I was a bit it was romanticized also via the Hollywood culture that we lived as kids in Italy, right? Like via television and stuff like that. But apart from that, a pretty high expectation of New York as a city from the technological point of view and especially from the cultural point of view. I was expecting to, to meet any culture in the world because New York for me was the, the real melting pot. So it was something that was my first expectation. When I landed there, I was extremely scared for many reasons. And one of them was because I was asking, I kept asking myself, am I doing the right thing? Because I could have tried again with the academy. And I felt in that moment a bit of a weight on my shoulders. And that weight was because I told myself, if you make a mistake, this is going to last for a long time, forever, pretty much. If you are making the wrong choice, you pay the consequences for it. And I know I was 19, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not something that a person at that age should ask him or herself. But at the same time, I told myself, I need to make the right choice. Am I making the right choice, right? And also I, I kept seeing on social media that the people that I tried the academy with, they all got in, right? So I saw that they posted pictures and things and talked about it. So I told myself, am I even doing the right thing? So I was, I was a bit scared. I was scared and I, I will not, you know, I will also say that I cried sometimes uh, at the beginning because I was really scared of doing the wrong thing. But then the moment I got out of the subway, I remember I was with my brother, I got out of the subway first time in Manhattan. I just felt like I had energy all of a sudden. I just felt like I had a motivation, I had something. I didn't know what it was, but I felt that there was something pushing me. There was something motivating me the moment that I got out of the, of the subway stairs. I felt that I was ready for the challenge, even though I didn't know what the challenge was going to be. And when you're talking about the fear of not making the right choice, you were thinking, maybe I have to try again to get into the Naval Academy. Yeah, I, I told myself, yes, I did that because of, uh, you know, the, the romanticized idea of the Academy. At the same time, is it probably the best thing I can do? right? Mm -hmm. Because I got to the last step. So I told myself, I can do this. Second time I can do it. So I told myself, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? But then the moment I was there, the more I spent time, the more I told myself, this is where I want to be. And it's still today, right? I live in a different city. And if I had a chance, I, could, I would go tomorrow to, to New York. I will go back tomorrow to New York, without a doubt. When you decided to leave Italy, was your idea to leave Italy permanently or just like going, have an experience and then going back to Italy at some point? The first, first time when I went as a tourist, I wasn't really sure. I knew I wanted to leave, but I wasn't sure New York was going to be the place. Second time, when I got my visa, I was 100% sure New York was going to be the place. So you are now like thinking going back to Italy, like I want to live in, I want to live in the U.S.? 100%. And last time we spoke before the interview, you were telling me that the process of getting the scholarship to go to the US wasn't easy. Even then you have, you failed a few applications there as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I like to ask you because I want to help, trying to help the listeners that are on the same situation, they're like trying to go and studying abroad. Where are you looking for a scholarship? Is there like a website? There's like, you have to go through the school to find scholarship. How does that work? It depends on the school you're attending. So in my case, the school that I really wanted to go to, at the end, I had luck to attend after many, many rejections. It was a public institution, a public college. And so 
like every university, there is a scholarship and financial aid section in every website of every any college in the US. And that's where you they give you a lot of suggestions. Another part was also by reaching out to the scholarship and financial aid office of every college, right? Talking to the person might seem useless, especially if that person is telling you, you can just check on the website. But what I did, I also showed up there. You show up, show up without an invitation because nobody's going to invite you, especially when it comes to money. I showed up and I basically, I needed the information and that's what happens. People will start remembering your name. And that's when you will get responses, when people will remember your name because you were there, you were there, you were insistent because you need it. Sometimes what happens, especially when we are in a country that we don't know, where we are in an environment that we don't feel we know, the moment that somebody tells us no, we're like, okay, I'll step back. I tried at least, right? You need to try even 10 times sometimes. Sometimes even like a reaching out, if English is not the first language or the language you're going to is not your first language, even reaching out to oh, people yeah. is it's scary because like you're going to a university and I don't know you, but when I started learning English, when I moved to New Zealand, I felt stupid because I couldn't communicate properly. And that's for me, with like living a normal life. I can't even imagine what it means to go to a university. I need to look smart. How do you do that when you are not even like be able to speak the language properly? So the one thing I did at the time was I printed out my, because I did the TOEFL, mm-hmm. it was a horrible score. I mean, horrible. I mean, it was an okay score. It was an 82. So I couldn't really get into any Ivy League, of course, and I didn't have the money for that. So what I did, I printed out my TOEFL just as a justification that I spoke English. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I realized that people like to look at certificates. And I just went, I went to different ones, different colleges. And I went as, even as north as uh, New Rochelle which is then the first college that took me. But that's how you do it. You just have to show up. And the moment you start thinking what the other person is thinking, you get lost. Because then you don't remember what you have to say. Yeah, that's, what, that's the first thing that happens, right? When you're learning a language, you start thinking, oh, she thinks or he thinks I'm stupid, right? The moment we're talking and I'm, I'm in a language and I have a huge accent, you can hear it from one kilometer away or even more. The first thing you're saying is, oh my God, like, this person actually thinks I'm stupid. And if you go ahead with that thinking, you will get nowhere. Nobody here is thinking anything. You cannot read anybody's mind, right? Mm-hmm. You just have to go, like, you just have to say what you want to say. It will come to a point where you really need it. And what I told myself many times to motivate, because I also consider myself to be a bit shy as a person, depending on the situation. So I don't know if there is a category for that when you have to check boxes, but I'm in between. It's not an introvert, not an extrovert, but in between. I did feel terrorized sometimes to even go because I felt as I was bothering them almost because Mm -hmm. I didn't speak good the language. So why am I even going? Right. But then I told myself, if I don't try, I really risk that I did all of this for nothing. I'm wasting my time. Do I really want that? I don't. I don't want to waste my time. And when you move to another country, you don't have enough money, almost no money. And you really need to find a solution. You need to act. You need to make those mistakes. And it has happened to me that they told me, are you even sure that you speak English? Probably you need to get a better score. It has happened to me a lot. And I remember the school that rejected me on my second rejection, I went to the CUNY University, the University of New York. And I remember they had an office on 42nd Street. And I went there so many times. And there you do a huge line because they manage the admissions for all CUNY colleges, which is a lot, a lot of colleges. And so I went there and I remember this admission person even screaming at me saying, I've seen you so many times. I don't even know what to tell you anymore. And the only problem was at the end that they could not confirm that my high school grades were good enough to get into the college. And that's because there was an error in the translation, a mistake in the translation. That's as simple as that. But if you don't go there, you don't talk you will never understand. I still got my second rejection because they didn't manage to, <laughs> to, to understand my grades, right? But then they realized that my grades were good. So the, the two times they got rejected was just a, a problem with the translation of the documents. Not translate. So the first time was because I didn't even understand in English that uh, I submitted my application late. It was as bad as that. Mm-hmm. Second time, translation. And third time, it was just because ah, they actually got admitted with condition. 
and they told me that I had to do a math test, although I graduated from uh, a scientific high school in Italy and I had a very good grade in math. So I didn't really actually need to do that. They just misread my grade. They just they didn't understand it. So they just put me into, into some conditional acceptance. And I never got the letter because they sent it to Italy. I never got the letter where it said where I had to take the test. And when I called them, they didn't understand me. I didn't understand them. So it was a whole mess. So at the end, I got into another college in the beginning. You know, I also had to do a lot of talking to the mission office for my grades to let them understand you know, that my grades were actually good and everything. And then I got in with a good scholarship and uh, I started there. And I told myself I can still trust her because my goal was to actually go to John Jay College, which is where I graduated from at the end, right? And that was part of the City University of New York. It was a very good system. I loved it. And the professors were amazing. You have district attorneys that came out from there. It was amazing to me. And so, yes, I wanted to go there. But I told myself I couldn't get in because it was so difficult. It's, it's, it's a public university. There is too many people. The admission office doesn't even know how to deal with the people from the U.S. I'll let you imagine with people outside of the U.S. at the time, at least, that they improved a lot. So, yeah. I went to Morrow College and then I transferred. Uh, I got a good GPA, the grade point average. And so uh, once I, I got good grades, I could transfer directly. I didn't need to explain any more my Italian grades. And everything worked out. Sweet. <laughs> but it took some time. <laughs> yeah. Actually, okay, a couple of questions here. First of all, just to understand, like, how did you find these colleges? We pretty much knew where you wanted to go in the US and just like search for university around. You went to their website and trying to find a scholarship on their own websites, right? Is that what you did? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you reach out to the office. Okay, so there's not like a platform that you can find like a scholarship in the US and it's like it shows up all... You do have platforms, right? There are platforms and they're ever-changing. There is a mm. lot, a lot of platforms. I, I cannot even name them at the moment because there is so many. Okay. But it is the best option is to go with the school. Why? Because many times the school is at least is the entity responsible for assigning the scholarship most of the times. Mm -hmm. And because, for instance, the scholarship comes from funding that has been provided by alumni. So in that case, it's the school that administers the money, and which means it selects the people, does the interviews that are needed. So in that case, I always suggest to go straight to the source which is the school. If a, a website says, for instance, this scholarship comes from an alumni at John Jay College, which was my college, I go straight to John Jay College. I don't go through the website, mm -hmm. right? Because it would take two screenings. So I go straight to the source. And that's why I suggest to go to the school because the school usually is the source where the money comes from. At least it's the, the entity managing the money, the funds, depending on the scholarship. In your experience, Maybe, I don't know, because maybe you were studying like a small town and maybe if you go to a different school, it's different. But is there any way that maybe the, the school you're attending in your country already has some connection with university abroad where you have like a fast path to get to the scholarship or not really? So at the time, my high school, I, I remember didn't really have anything, not even in Europe. It was not an option, at least as far as I knew. There might have been something and I've never mm -hmm. heard of it. I know that there are some schools that do that uh, in bigger cities as well. But what I will do, especially nowadays, right? We are in an age where a lot of people emigrated. A lot of people our age, a lot of millennials especially, emigrated, right? So mm -hmm. if today I will be on my fourth year of high school, I will reach out to the alumni of my school. I will Google them. Teenagers nowadays, they know how to use Google even better than us, than what we used to do. It takes nothing to just Google people, to ask professors, right? Professors, many times they know what the alumni did, right? So, and that's what my high school actually did after some time. I remember that to promote the high school, they did a video with all the people who left, all people who did amazing careers, right? And why to choose this school? So talking to your professors, also understanding, do you know anybody of your former students who left the country and went to this university, they will know most of the time. They will know most of the time. And if not, they could give you some leads. So the key here, as I was also saying before, is to ask questions, to ask. Don't just keep them to yourself. And if you don't want to ask questions to a person, ask that on Google. Just type that down. But make sure to reach out because somebody might have the response. And your professors and also... 
if by searching on Google, for instance, you put the name of your high school and then you put uh, on LinkedIn, you see if somebody put it indicator in their profile and you see that it's the person coming from your own town, you get a lead there and you can mm-hmm. act from it. Awesome. That's a great advice. And now the question then I was going to ask you before. So you failed the Naval Academy once and you gave up. But you failed as an application like three or four times. You still didn't like give up. You still yeah. like, well, like you were like at that point, like you were like certain, like that's where I wanted to go. Yeah. And all these failures, I guess, came after you came back from the US, right? Or was before you went to the US? So uh, first time I applied is as soon as I went to the US. I just applied and I didn't know what I was doing. And so that's when I got rejected. Second time, it's towards the end of my stay and I applied again and I got rejected. And then the third time was, I remember, a couple of months after when I was basically because I got the conditional acceptance, but I could not ask for the visa. So it was a whole uh, mess. And I told myself, I cannot just wait for that. So I just went with another school, which is the one that accepted me. But yes, it pushed me to... I felt motivated because I I knew there was something that because of the language I really could not understand it that I could could solve. I knew that I was not the issue. I was convinced 100%. Although the circumstances really showed if somebody would look at the circumstances, right, and what happened, objectively they would say, this guy is useless. This guy just cannot make it. But I was sure. Myself, I was confident enough and I told myself, I'm going to make it. I was extremely depressed, especially when talking to my friends back home. I told myself, oh, I can, you know, I've been rejected again. I have problems with my visa. It was something that I shared a lot. And that's where the support system came out, that I realized that a strong support system of my friends back home and also the friends that I made in the U.S. who were looking forward to have me there with them. So it was a lot and it takes a lot of confidence and a lot, and also like you have to be convinced about what you want and what you know is good for you. If you don't know that, you're lost. Yeah, but even then, how do you know that? If it's good for you? Because yeah, because you, you, you say yourself, like when you were in the US, you were not even sure, like actually you changed your mind. Like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. They changed your mind when you went back to Italy. Yeah. Like, how do you know if you're sure? How do you know? Like, but what fascinates me, the fact that you kept going. Yeah. Even two failures, three failures were not enough for you to change your mind. Compared to the Naval Academy that you failed once, and you try something else here. Like it was fascinates me. Like you didn't give up. Like there's so many reasons for you to say, like you know what, this is not working out. Maybe the US is not a place. To, maybe I can try something else. But you didn't. That's what fascinates me. <laughs> I think the one thing that unconsciously motivated me was New York. As I was saying before, that city gave me the energy to fight the challenge that I still didn't know existed. That's the weirdest thing ever I could say, but it's true. I really cannot explain how. I just felt that there was something I could do. I felt that I could overcome the challenge. In the academy, I knew that I failed, right? I knew that I had to do again the same thing. And and that's where the difference was. While instead there, I said, okay, I failed, but why did I fail? It's because part of me doesn't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I filled yeah. out the papers, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I knew that. I was aware of that. So it was a bit also of like throwing an arrow, you know, like, and trying to find for luck. But in reality, I really didn't know what I was doing. But at the same time, I told myself, I'm trying, right? And I'm learning. And there I felt I was in an environment where my willingness to learn was being fostered, was being nurtured, right? I was was the right place at the right time. And you know that. I've talked to so many people who have had very similar experiences. And the one thing that, you know, makes us all closer on this is that we all felt that we were in a place at a moment where we were extremely motivated to go ahead with it and to continue fighting for it. So main difference summed up is that when I failed with the academy, I knew I didn't want to do this again. And I knew I failed. I knew that I didn't have another chance really. While instead there in New York, I felt like I had a thousand chances. I felt like I was a lion. I felt I felt like I had all the opportunities I wanted. I felt that the city was really pushing me to go for it. People who might listen to this uh, might say, this guy is crazy, but it's, just, it's like that. No, I don't, I don't think you are. It's actually, I think it's uh, something that I heard from other people that I interviewed, the fact, even for myself, like the fact when you leave your own country, you go into a new environment, 
you feel like the freedom of being whoever you want. You're not constrained by the thought of the, the picture that other people around you made of you. Like you're not this guy that failed to go to the Naval Academy. You are in this, this new country where you can do anything you want. You can pursue any career you want. You got that freedom to be whoever you want. I, I think that's for, like, for many people what the changes, the beauty of start fresh in a new country. That's true. That's a very good point. I totally agree with that. So why, what career did you pursue when you went to the US? When you go to school, what kind of, did you put your mind into something else? Like, that's what I want to do. Yes, I had a big dream uh, is of becoming an attorney. So I, I wanted to become an attorney. That's why I, I chose to specialize in criminal law in the US. And uh, it's something that has always fascinated me and I still love today. Unfortunately, I didn't get to become an attorney at the end for many reasons that we can talk about. But that was a big dream for me, becoming an attorney in the US. Was that a dream coming from watching movies as well? No, actually no. No, okay. That's the one thing I have to say because I asked myself the question, but no, it was, uh, it was not. And how long did you stay in the US? Uh, almost five years. It was, it was a big journey and uh, it was the most beautiful time of my life. It was the most beautiful time of my life. I met amazing people, especially going to a public university. I met people who came from every possible background and who really struggled, who really tried to, you know, they worked every day. They really were, they had something that pushed them, even though they didn't have the means to do and to go for it, they still tried. And that's what pushed me also. There were many things that made New York the best place in the world for me. And especially the fact, as I was telling you before, that I felt motivated even for a challenge that I didn't know existed. It was the best time of my life. So this is the second time that you live your life, beautiful life behind and move to another country because now you don't live in the US anymore. Now you <laughs> live in Paris, in France. Yeah. The second choice, the second time you make the decision to live this beautiful life in a country was coming from you or was coming from an external factor that you couldn't stay in the US any longer? There were many factors. Many factors that play to my decision of moving to France and specifically to Paris. So one of them is when I was about to graduate from college in the US, I got a scholarship to prepare for the LSAT. Do you know what the LSAT is? No. So it's the law school admission test. And to become an attorney in the U.S., you have to first go to law school after you, you graduate from college. So once you earn your undergraduate degree, your bachelor's, you, you go to, to law school. You do three years of law school. In order to get into law school, you have to pass the LSAT, which is a very difficult exam, especially if you're not a native speaker. And then after three years of uh, law school, you have to pass the bar exam. And so I got the scholarship with Kaplan to prepare for the LSAT. And I was ready to take the exam. But then I started asking myself so many questions. One of them was, what if I don't get the visa once I'm admitted into a law school? That was a big bet. And my visa was about to expire, actually expired the day after I graduated from college. So I, had to, I left right away after graduating. And so there could have been a chance that my visa would have not been renewed and I would have been admitted to law school. So in that case, I would, I would have lost acceptance. Oh, okay. So that's not automatic. It's not that you should get accepted no. automatically or the, the, the school helps you to get a visa. So basically, the way this is formalized is that the school provides you what is called as an I-20. The I-20 is a document that formalizes the requests of the school for you to get a visa. And this is something that you submit, you provide to the embassy, for instance, in Italy, and you ask them to give you a visa to study in the US on the basis of the information that is provided on the I-20. Mm -hmm. And so I, any school can give you an I-20. As long as basically you get accepted, you have the means to pay for it, sometimes scholarships, and also that you show where you live and everything. But it, that doesn't mean that the I-20 is not a confirmation that you're going to get a visa. Especially because I already had five years of visa. 
I already had a visa for five years uh, as a student for a bachelor's. And when you go to the U.S. and you get a non-immigrant visa, so the student visa, the expectation is that after you complete your studies, you leave the U.S. This is why it's called a non-immigrant visa. And so that's why I told myself that it's a pretty big risk that I'm going to go back to Italy to renew my visa. I don't get it renewed. And then I, I could have not accessed the U.S. Because then you cannot ask again for the same visa for some time. So it's, it mm -hmm. would have been a pretty big risk that I was going to take. You know, I already lost one year and a half when I had to apply for college. So I didn't want to run that risk again, right? Time is of the essence sometimes. Yeah. And then there were other factors. I started also looking for other programs, especially in Europe, because there, as a European passport holder, I had access also to a lot of scholarships and I saw a master's program in Paris in international public management. Uh, it was a pretty good master's and I had a pretty good scholarship option that I could uh, access to. I had access to, so uh, I told myself, why not try? And I, I, I tried in three schools for graduate programs, in uh, one in Berlin, one in Geneva and one in Paris. And I got it to Berlin and Paris with very good funding options. And also the other option was that I told myself, okay, I want to become an attorney, but what is that you would like to do as an attorney, right? And the one focus of my goal was corruption. Corruption is something that has always fascinated me. I've always talked about it and it's always something on which I focus my studies. That's where I told myself, can I work in the field even by not becoming attorney in the US, at least for now? Yes, you can. And that's where I decided to go for international public management in Paris. And then the last factor was also because I met a lady in the, in the US. She moved to Geneva. We met at the same university uh, in New York. And then once she moved to Geneva, I also decided to go back to Europe because I felt that I wanted to be with her. And uh, in fact, today we live together in Paris. And we've been together for five years. So I guess the last factor was the, the last drop Oh, there I were say, like the drug. There were many, but that was probably the main factor, I guess, at that point. Yeah, it was definitely a, a big factor, definitely a big factor. But the one thing, and uh, that's also one of the reasons why I I love her, is because she supports in everything that I always want to do, and same thing I do for her. So there is this mutual understanding that uh, we are ready to follow our dreams, but we're still there for the other. And that was a big factor for me. So I, was, I definitely didn't feel pushed to come back to Europe. I didn't feel any pressure. I was just, I, I knew I was making the right decision. And I know I did. I guess your parents were happy to seeing you getting a little bit closer, I guess. Yeah, they, they were. They were. Uh, the one thing about my parents is that they've always been happy regardless, right? Even though both of me and my brother left very early, They were always happy to just see that we were happy. And that's the one thing that I admire a lot about them. I don't know if as a parent I could do the same thing. I really don't know. And I will discover, I guess. I don't know. But they've always been supportive. Even if uh, they, we didn't really tell them what we were doing or we, didn't, we weren't very clear about what our plans were, they always said, as long as you're happy, we're fine. And that's the one thing that also made me very confident about the decisions I made. Yeah, I mean, having the support of your family, that's a big part of um, yeah. like living. Like, it's, Emotional, it's psychological support, it's, it's key. It's, it's just amazingly key. So now that you live in Paris, I guess you, you speak the language, you speak French now? Yeah, I work in French as well. Yeah. So your English is pretty good. So it's a pretty good English level. And now French, I guess you're pretty good in French as well. Like... Are you have like a language kind of guy or do you have like a techniques or what helps you to learn these languages so well? The one thing I do when I learn a language is that I make sure that my environment, the environment around me also helps me do that. Fosters a learning environment, right? So it's, I change the language on my phone. I watch TV in the, in the language. I read the newspaper in the language and I really read the newspapers. I read books and I've fallen asleep so many times I can't even count. I've been to the movies and I've slept so many times. I, I've had the best sleep of my life in movie theaters. And also talking to people, trying and making the mistake of actually saying something wrong. That's where I learned the most as well. The time that you, you want to order the pizza, and you're scared of even ordering it by the phone, just do it. That's the times when you learn, right? When people speak fast to you, where you can really hear them on the phone. 
those are the situations where you really have to learn the language. Mm-hmm. Try to make friends that don't necessarily reflect your background because those are the friends who will push you to really learn the language. Don't just go into the environment where you feel comfortable because everybody speaks Italian, everybody speaks English or your language, whatever it might be. No, just go into the environment where you feel uncomfortable. You have to feel uncomfortable if you want to learn something. Regardless of what it is, it's just not about languages. It's about everything. You have to go and try. You have to try and try. And that's what hurt me the most. But definitely the big factor is changing your environment, adapting it. Basically, I consider myself when I start learning a language as a baby. Like you have to start small and, you know, and slowly get high, high and higher level. Because uh, for instance, in French, there is this book, it's called Le Petit Nicolas. And uh, it's a children book. But I'm telling you, it's the best book ever. I mean, I loved it. And that's also because that's the first thing I could ever read. When I arrived in Paris, I worked in a French startup. And so this friend of mine gave me this book and said, this is the first book you have to read in France. And that's what I read. And from there, then I went on to Victor Hugo and you name it. But that's where you start, right? You start small and start watching cartoons, right? When it came to English, I learned with The Simpsons in the beginning, especially because it was American English, The Simpsons and other series. For French, I learned with children book and then going to cartoons and then I go into series and then movies and then big books and newspapers. Especially with smartphones, what I do a lot, um, I have the app of the newspaper I read, for instance. If you have an iPhone or any phone you have, if you click on the word, it gives you the translation of the word, the meaning of it. It puts it in the sentence for you. In the beginning, it's going to be a painful process because you have to really work through it. You have to have the patience to look the word and everything. But then it gets better. Also, another suggestion I know that it's cool to have the physical book, but I'm telling you, having a Kindle helps you also learn a language because Kindle, when you have connection, it also translates the word for you. Like you can click on the word and it gives you, actually, it doesn't even translate it. It actually gives you, it explains you the meaning of the word in the language that you're reading it. And that's amazing. So I was learning French and they explained me the word in French by using other words. And that's the best thing ever. One thing I really don't suggest is that you just start writing down all the words because you're going to get bored. You're Mm going to get super bored. I tried a lot of times. I had a little notebook on the side and I wrote the words I didn't know. I translated them. I took a dictionary. It takes time. You need to facilitate the process for yourself. Make sure you're comfortable. If you're comfortable taking notes in a notebook, so be it. But I suggest to facilitate the process. Make sure that you're comfortable reading the language and you enjoy the process because it's a beautiful process. I don't even know how many suggestions I gave him one, but I guess that uh, the main thing is change your environment and be uncomfortable. I absolutely agree with everything you just said, especially like a be uncomfortable. I think that's for me, it's always been the magic spot. Like when you feel uncomfortable, when you're outside of your comfort zone, that's the thing where the magic always happens. So I absolutely agree with you. And also I like what you say, the progression going, starting from a children's book to cartoons and then TV shows and then movies, just the progression. Because I remember when I started like learning English, I thought, okay, I need to read in English. So I got like a book that I want to read in Italian. I got the same version in English. And it was like translating every single other word. Like it's, this is like, it's not even enjoyable. Like I don't even enjoy this. If you don't enjoy doing it, you won't do it. It's like you can force yourself a couple of times, but you can't repeat the same kind of it. So I love your approach. Like I started like super easy with a children book because that's the thing. I heard this like multiple times. When you learn a language, we are like a children's. Another thing I like to add from you say like about the Kindle. On iPhone or iPad, I probably Android, this will be the same thing. When you highlight a word, even like a speak. So if you don't know the pronunciation, that helps me a lot. Oh, because sometimes you can't. That's good. I didn't know that. I do exactly like you did that you don't find the translation unless yeah. the meaning doesn't make any sense. Sometimes like I read the meaning, like I don't understand. I understand, but I don't really like, I can't associate it, like how to use this word. So then I use the translation to see what's the translation in Italian. And also sometimes- like, Explanation is amazing. Yeah, I love that. But yeah, and like even the speak, like if sometimes you don't even know how to pronounce the word, like to make sure that just you can speak, you can select it, you select good, speak yeah. and the radio, the- the word probably I never did that because I was always in the train when I was reading mm. so um, it was always uh, yeah I never listened but it's that's a very good suggestion actually I need to start doing that yeah 
Because at the time, well, like years ago, I had like a smartwatch. It wasn't an Apple watch. I think it was a Pebble at the time. It was like one of the first like Apple watches. And there was like a, this app. It was kind of like flashcards. So when I didn't know a word and I was like, sometimes like there's words like listen like multiple times and still like I don't remember. I can't, maybe if I hear it, I know the meaning. But if I had to use it, it doesn't come to my mind. So I was just like this flashcard I was adding to my phone, like this flashcard, these words that I didn't know the meaning or I wanted to improve. And I think it could give you like a notification every hour or whatever you said. You could just look at a notification, you can see the card and you press like, and you see in your mind, like what's the meaning? Okay. And then you can flip the card. That for me was like super helpful just because you don't have to take your wow. phone out all the time. It was on, my, on your watch. You just do anything like, oh, sweet. And you carry on. I don't know if there's an equivalent right now. I see if I can find it and I add it to the show notes for the people because I found it like a super useful. Another thing. That, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. Instead of having a notebook, then you have to go through all the time. Oh, and, okay. just, and then you can mark it like, okay, I learned that. Okay. That's it. Okay. Don't show me that anymore. Done. Now call me lazy, but uh, not notebook. Yeah. I tried. Alrighty. Let's move to the question then I always ask all the listeners. Like, do you have any regrets about leaving Italy? Not at all. No regrets. I'm happy I made the choice. And not because I hate Italy. I actually love Italy. And I love going back as much as I can. It's just that I have no regrets. I'm just happy. And you will know when you're happy, you're happy. And the one thing is that I cannot have regrets about extending the kinds of experiences I can have by doing more experiences, by meeting new people. I just, I have no regrets whatsoever. No regrets. And what's the main thing? What's the biggest upside about moving abroad? The biggest upside was definitely the language and meeting people with stories that I've never heard of, right? I'm sure that I could find the same interesting people also in Italy. And I also had people with very interesting backgrounds and stories in my entourage, of course, but I just loved to meet people who had a totally different background than mine. Just trying to understand how their life was, where they grew up, what kind of language they spoke, and just how their life was so much different than mine. I was like, this is amazing. I would have never found out about this, right? Also because, of course, you can find that out on the internet, but it's not the same thing to me. The one thing of actually meeting people with the different life stories and talking to them and exchanging with them and also learning from them it's just something that is amazing to me. And I think that that was one of the big things. And also the kinds of opportunities that you open to yourself and the network that you make and the friends that you make once you, once you leave your country because you extend your life to so many, so much more possibilities. Your limit is, becomes the world. 100%. Even someone who still lives in Italy their limit is the world. It's not it, it's the world. You can go anywhere you want. Of course, with some limits, but you know, get the gist of it. Yeah. I mean, sooner or later, like we're gonna, the limit won't even be the world because we're gonna go to different world, different planets. Yeah. I think the limit is going to be the limits that you put on yourself. I think that's, uh, yeah. I don't know you, but I know so many people in, back in my own town, they even like moving to the next town, it's a challenge. Like they will never do that. Like it's, they can't even leave their own town like going five minutes away down the road. Like, even that's a challenge. And, uh, you know, that's fine. You know, um, I know also people who feel okay but just, you know, being in their hometown and probably traveling sometimes or not even, but it's fine. You know, like I still, you know, respect that decision. It's a decision, right? It's, mm -hmm. uh, and I guess it's based also on what you love in life, what you want from life and what you feel is good for you in life. You know, for me, it's different. But for them, I, I also understand that I've had the chance of talking to people who actually made that decision. And uh, I I get 100% why they do that. I wouldn't do the same thing myself, but that's because I'm, uh, you know, I've, I have a different way of thinking and that's fine. We're all different and that's the beautiful thing of it. Absolutely. Like moving abroad is not for everybody. Not everybody wants to move abroad. Yeah. And it's not the best decision for everyone, huh? Because uh, you can have a very bad experience and I wouldn't wish that to anyone. I agree. And speaking of bad situation and bad circumstances, like what's the main challenge that you have to face in your uh, experience abroad? It's the daily challenges, the small things, right? Dealing with a problem when you don't know anybody and when you don't know what to do. Of course, the most undesirable thing is going to the hospital. And it's also the most difficult. You have to explain your symptoms. You have to explain what you have. You have to go through the administrative part of it because as we know, for instance, in the United States, it's not the same health system, totally different, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
it's the small things, even going grocery shopping, right? Let's say that you have some problem eating, you need specific eating, or you have, I've had toothaches, right? In the beginning when I was there, because it was too cold and my tooth could not handle it. So I didn't know what to do. Uh, and you're just lost. And so there is many bad experiences I've had in the US, extremely bad experiences. But the one thing that consistent was the daily challenges, going to the laundromat and having to take the, even the subway sometimes or the bus to go to do my laundry. I had to leave home with a suitcase with my clothes inside and just take a bus to go do the laundry. While instead at home, I could have just done it like at home, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes I've had, I remember uh, someone who just took my clothes out of the laundry and put it on the ground because that person needed the, the thing and I, I was too late to go pick it up. So it was so many things, right? Also like buying groceries, finding a doctor, going to the post office to send a letter. I sent so many happy birthday letters to, to people I know in Italy, they never got them. So it's it's the small things, I think, right? Also in France here, you know, we had an issue with the door. We paid so much money to fix a door and it could have cost us so much less. But it's because we didn't really speak good the language and we had so many issues understanding that, you know, you don't call at a certain time because you don't know certain things, yeah. right? So it's the daily challenges that make living abroad difficult. It's not the, the big traumatizing uh, issues, right? Because those are one shot, one off moments, right? It's the small challenges. It's what makes your everyday life easier when you're back home. Mm-hmm. Of course, this doesn't apply to everyone, right? Everyone has his own, his or her own life, but it's the small things. At home, for instance, you don't have to worry about certain things such as grocery shopping or the doctor. You know everything. You have your own ecosystem. When, when you leave abroad, that ecosystem disappears and you have to build it back up. And while instead you had, I don't know, 19 years in my case to build that ecosystem, you have to build it in, in a week, <laughs> especially when you have a health problem, right? Yeah. So, and that was the challenge that go find a doctor in New York City. Oh my God, right? Or go find, I don't know, like that specific thing you need. I, I had, for instance, one this experience that I had this landlord who wanted me to clean the floor with a specific product. I didn't even understand what she was talking about. And so I had to go find this thing in a supermarket, which was huge, like American supermarket. And I could not find it. And so I, I was desperate for what? For a detergent. But that's the thing. It's the small things. And you will get so demotivated sometimes over small things. But that's what makes it challenging, in my opinion. But actually, it's pretty interesting because... Hearing your story, your life in Italy was beautiful, was great. You were surrounded by friends. Everything was great. And then you moved to the US. You had to carry your, your like laundry into a, like a suitcase and to get on the bus just to do the laundry. Where in Italy, back in Italy, probably your mom was doing the laundry for you. Just as easy as just to go to the washing machine and just do your washing. If you tell this thing to people that haven't moved abroad, like, what are you doing? Like, how can you say that this life is better than what you had? It's hard to explain why that is better, right? Yeah, I know. But that's why when uh, when you ask me the question, and I know already what I'm going to answer because, you know, thinking uh, about the answer, and I think in the specific moment, whoever was going to listen to this is going to think that what I'm saying makes no sense. And that's because you will only understand that once you make that step. So for, in my case, while it, it sounded crazy, and while in that moment when I was going to this bus with a lot of people, I had no space, not even for myself, and I let you guess for the luggage, I knew that I was there for a reason, right? That I was, why I was doing that, why I was willing to do that, why I was willing to carry my laundry in a, in a luggage and take a bus to go f- to the laundry for two hours, right? And it, sometimes I even had to do a line for it. It's because I was in a city that motivated me to do that because I knew that that was part of the small things that I had to pile up in order to get to my goal. Mm-hmm. And that's what was pushing me. But this is something you cannot understand if you don't try, right? Now, let's say that I would have stayed in Italy, right? And somebody would have told me, you have to go do your laundry, I don't know, like uh, 10 kilometers from home, right? And you have to take a bus. I don't think I would have done it, but simply because why would I even do that? To me, it was the environment that was really motivating me to push myself and to, to, you know, like to accept any of the circumstances that came with it. 
you're ready to accept whatever comes with it. It might be, you know, dinners made with a microwave. I've had the best dinners of my life made on a microwave, by the way. And, you know, that and also doing your laundry, doing a line and it's, it's crazy things, right? I cannot even list them all, all the crazy stuff that has happened to me when um, just living the daily life in New York City. But the one thing I can say is that, you know, you're doing this for a reason mm-hmm. and that's what pushing you. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And do you have any particular advice you'd like to give to the listeners that either want to move to the US or want to study abroad or they want to move abroad? I will give two suggestions. One of them is don't be afraid to ask questions and to reach out. First, because if you don't reach out, you will never know. If somebody has the information you need to talk to that person, you need to ask the question and nobody's going to think that you're stupid. And if that person thinks you're stupid, you don't need that person. So summed up, ask always the question, always ask for information and look for it. Act like that's your treasure because it's really the key to your next step. If you really want to move abroad, you'll be willing to do that unconsciously. You don't control that. If you're not willing to do to move abroad, you will unconsciously also feel like not doing that. It's just not part of what you you feel like doing because you don't feel like you need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, another one that I want to say is also that you're going to spend a lot of time by yourself. So learn to be alone. As I've said also in other occasions, learn to be alone because it's key to also learn to accept your individuality and to understand who you are and what you want. Many times, as also you were saying before, when you're surrounded in your pre-built ecosystem back at home, you act also based on the influence and the expectations that people have of yourself. And so you don't really understand what you want until you're by yourself and you look into the mirror and you ask yourself, what do you want? Who are you? And why are you there? The moment you will start really spending some time with yourself and thinking about what you're doing and what you want to do, that's when you really learn to appreciate your individuality and yourself. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else that I can, I can add there because you say like beautifully. I absolutely agree with you. And now, like speaking of helping other people and moving abroad, do you want to tell the listeners what the overseas dream is and what's your goal? Yeah. So the overseas dream is, is just a page at the moment. It's just simply a page. It's not a business. It's not a company. It's a page that my brother started in the, in the beginning. And then I joined. Uh, he asked me to join him in this beautiful adventure. And so our aim is to build a community of expats, immigrants, you name them. However you identify yourself uh, when you're moving abroad for necessity or anything. And also to basically provide resources and information to people who are thinking, contemplating, or just would like one day to move abroad. And the idea behind the overseas dream is that we all have our own overseas dream, but we all experience it in a different way. And that's why it is important for us to share the stories of people that have lived their own overseas dream and also to show the specificity and individuality of this story. Because the one thing is that I cannot tell you how it is to live in a specific city and tell you you will live the same exact experience as me. Your experience is shaped and is formed as a result of your background, of the way you are, who you are, and many other things. And so I think that many times it is better if I would not just tell people, look, you're going to love New York, right? I cannot tell that. I cannot say that just because everyone has his own or her own experience. So we are trying to share people's stories and also tips about moving abroad and what it means. And we're doing that especially via the Spotlight series. The Spotlight is a way to spotlight someone's experience abroad by moving abroad. And you were part of this. Mm-hmm. So it's one way basically of showing the other Daniel back in Italy, who comes from the same hometown, what it means to really move to Vancouver, for instance, right? It's just basically a collection of information provided by people who differ backgrounds and just making sure that people have access to that information there. It's very similar to what you're doing with your podcasts. So we are trying to provide information to people and 
we're basically just there to share the information. We don't own many of the information we share. And also we encourage people to reach out to us so that we can share their experience. If this can be helpful to other people coming from their own hometown, from the same hometown as the person being uh, included in the spotlight, or just for other people in general coming from the same country. I absolutely love the work you guys doing. And that's how we connected over Instagram, on your page on Instagram. That's what I said at the beginning. We're like in such a similar path here to help the people in a very similar way, if it's not the same way. As you say, beautifully, like every experience it will be different. Every person experience is different. Even if you come from the same country and move to the same country, the experience individual will be different. You move from Italy to the US as an Italian, if you are coming from an Asian country or uh, I don't know, some other country, the experience couldn't be more different than that. Yeah. Like, so putting like sharing the story through your spotlight, through our podcast, just to tell people this is what it's like this is what my experience is like. That's what your experience is like. And hopefully you can get the information you need, like we spoke with you today about moving abroad using a scholarship. Or could be like, what it's like to be like living in Italy and go to the US. What's it like to, these kind of things on a personal level. So can, people can find yeah. what they need, find the idea they need, the motivation they need, because sometimes that's all you need. It's just a push, just like, I want to do it, but I don't know if I want, like just sometimes just need the extra push to tell people. You can do this. Like I've done this. We all done this. It's not easy. It's not going to be easy. It's not meant to be easy, but it's going to be beautiful. So it's uh, it's totally true. We agree with you. And also, it's it's crazy how when we do the spotlights, we ask the same question, not all the same questions, right? Because we usually ask a couple of questions, and one of them it's it tends to be different for everyone. But there is one specific question we tend to ask to everyone, which is, "What's your suggestion for someone who's contemplating to move abroad?" And you'll be amazed to see how many different responses we get, and that's the beautiful part of it, right? And that connects with what you just said. You can have three thousand, you can have a million different experiences. If you ask a million people, how was your experience moving to New York? You can have a thousand or a million different tips about moving abroad. And that's a beautiful part of it. Absolutely. So where people can find you and the work you're doing? So you can definitely find the Overseas Dream on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, and on Facebook. We are very active on Instagram where we post every day either a fun fact, even a reel. Sometimes just to make jokes about the difficulties of living abroad, one is going to go live tonight. And also spotlights. You can just uh, message us on the Overseas Dream and we'll make sure to respond to your message. We respond and read all our messages. So we make sure to always take any request that we receive. And also you can reach out directly to me. I'll be happy to provide my email. Uh, And uh, so feel free to reach out. And uh, in any way we can help as the Overseas Dream, we'll be happy to do so. Sweet. And as usual, all the links and everything, the way to reach out to you is going to be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Eugenio, to share your story. I really had such a wonderful time. And I don't know how many times I already said that, like I can resonate so much with your story and your experience. And I really enjoyed doing this. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and stick until the end. This episode was packed with tips and things you should know when thinking on moving abroad through a scholarship. If you enjoyed it and know someone who wants to study abroad, please feel to share this episode with them. Our goal is to help as many people as possible on their journey abroad. If you want to support the show and the work we do, you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. It only takes a few minutes, but it makes a huge difference. And your review will be posted on our website. You can follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Immigrants Life and Facebook at Immigrants Life Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you in the next one. Ciao.